This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is a super dope online learning community filled with thousands of creative video classes taught by experts and professionals. Even though we can see the light at the end of this lockdown tunnel, we still have a few weeks to go, so why not download a free trial and learn something new in the meantime? Yes, and then maybe it's time that you signed up for a dance course so we can all go clubbing with our friends after this lockdown's over. And you won't avoid going on the dance floor like you usually do. Hold up. Maybe, (laughs) Rami, you need to do a course on how to be a good friend or learn some manners maybe. Anyway, check out our show notes to sign up for a free trial today. Welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Rami. And I'm Sandan. Thanks for joining us. This episode is the second half of our discussion with journalist and Refinery29 culture editor, Alicia Rajlal. In last week's episode, Alicia shared her experience as a woman of colour working in journalism and the media. We spoke about the kind of writing she's most passionate about, the importance of representation in her field, and Alicia's favourite celebrity encounters. Make sure to check out that episode before listening to this one. In part two today, we dive deeper into the media landscape to get Alicia's take on some of the pressing issues affecting the industry today, like having diversity in newsrooms, the agenda's big media push, our relationship with social media, and how to navigate unwarranted WhatsApp news from aunties (laughs) and uncles. Yeah, it was so interesting getting Alicia's perspective. Now let's jump into it. Alicia, we also did want to talk with you, as we mentioned at the beginning, about the journalism landscape as a whole, um, particularly in Australia. So diving into that a little bit, since you started in Australian media, I think it was about 10 years ago or so, if I stalked your LinkedIn correctly, um, have you seen much difference in people of colour working in the Australian media? Because me personally, like I remember seeing people like Jeremy Fernandez um, and like Karina Cavallo. Like I'm sure a lot of people might not know the name, but the face, if you Google him, you'll, you'll be able to recognise him. And more recently, you see Walid Ali, who's obviously a huge personality, especially on like primetime television. But if you look at like Channel 7 or Channel 9 or like some of the other mainstream channels, you still don't see a lot of people of colour. So from your perspective, have you seen that shift even in like the production rooms or the directors like we were talking before? Yeah, I think within the newsrooms, um, there are more of us, Mm. but we don't necessarily like I've worked with maybe like around four or five other South Asian female journalists, like across the different publications that I've worked at. And I know of so many more that are working at nine or seven or, you know, at one of the newspapers. And so we are there, but not necessarily on the screen. And so there's those two different spheres and it could come down to a lot of things you know but I think yeah there's still a lot of work to be done and I think like even before like a lot of us there's still a not lot of Indigenous and First Nations representation for example um, which is an area that really needs to be improved within Australian media because as you mentioned like yeah you can think of like Jeremy Fernandez or Karina Carvalho but how many First Nations reporters or presenters can we think of Um, so I think, and then like another name is Lee Lin Chin, who's like risen through the ranks. Um, and there's people like Brooke Bonney, who's now on, or Brooke Boney, sorry, who's now on the Today Show, um, and Narelda Jacobs on Channel 10. And from, yeah, like from the behind the scenes 
point of view. Like I know there's like quite a few of us, it's still a minority number who are working, but I think my message would be to like young journalists, um, people of colour, like don't feel discouraged um, by the fact like what you're seeing on screen because we are there, you know, we are starting to gain momentum. We are speaking out podcasts Mm. like this are such a great space where we're able to get, you know, the word out there. And again, like there are other ways, like, look, if they're not going to put us on TV or on the airwaves, we start a podcast exactly like mm. what you guys did. We we need to also know that we can like just take it into our own hands and we don't need the mainstream to get these important messages across. Um, I know there's organisations like Media Diversity Australia that are really pushing for structural and systemic change like it's once we have those people up top that start changing um that I think real progress is going to be made but in the meantime you know there are us and I'd like only encourage more of us to to jump on board because we're still doing great work and we don't necessarily need to be on camera to be doing that in the meantime yeah yeah love that message it's like using the space that you have to do what you can and then using that to leapfrog into something bigger, right? Uh, Instead of just sitting quietly and and waiting for change. Yeah, love that. Uh, Something that really frustrated me in high school was, you know, Sri Lanka's been navigating a a decades-long humanitarian crisis, which kind of hit a climax when I was in school. And there was no or little to no coverage about it in mainstream media. And I'd really get upset by that because... There's all these devastating things happening in that part of the world, which no one knew about because it wasn't being covered. Um, But at the same time, I was also being naive myself because there were plenty of other devastating things happening all over the world, which I was blind to because it didn't get the attention in the mainstream. And because I wasn't personally affected by it, I wasn't doing the research. Um, I guess because there wasn't anyone in the production room to help give voice to these issues, could you speak a little to the implications of not having diversity in the newsrooms to push for these lesser known stories to reach the mainstream. Yeah, 100%, because exactly like what you said, if there aren't those people with those lived experiences or that understanding and connection to those issues, then um, it may very well be the case that those topics or world events or issues are just never brought to that news meeting in the morning when the whole news team's sitting around and saying, all right, so what stories are we going to roll out today? And it's a real shame because it means there are big chunks of our population that are not being heard. Mm. And so we're turning to, you know, in your example, the local media in Sri Lanka or other outlets in the US or Canada or wherever it is or the UK that are covering these things and it's such a shame because and it's such an opportunity that's missed because the way Australians perceive these things could be communicated if our local newsrooms covered it so it's it's such a negative thing and such a shame when there isn't a breadth of diversity within a newsroom because you are going to miss these stories and it's a loss for your audience and it's also a loss for you because you you could have been covering something that's really important that your team and your brand can be proud of and you're not going to lose those audience members to elsewhere. Um, and it's interesting, it's a conversation I was having yesterday because I just did a story around women in politics and mm. the challenges faced by women of colour in politics. And again, it's the same thing. 
Uh, it's similar to the thing about media because if you don't have for that chunk of the population people in parliament making those decisions, then those those issues and those those elements that affect those people's lives will never be considered. And it's the same with stories just not actually landing on the news desk in the first place. And the other thing is there could be something like, for example, Black Lives Matter was, you know, a big movement that got a lot of media attention last year and rightfully so. But without um, the diversity of voices within the newsroom, you are definitely going to have blind spots and not cover yeah. things um, in the most respectful and, and well-rounded and considered way. So it's definitely a shame and like not having that diversity and mm. people from different walks of life in a newsroom means that there will be blind spots and things won't be covered and it's detrimental to the newsroom and also to your audience and, and to your readers like you felt, you know, as someone living in Australia here when you were seeing what was going on back home. Mm. Definitely. I think the other thing that's really disheartening is how the media shape the narrative sometimes mm. like it's so easy to fall victim of how the media does sometimes shape our attitudes towards certain things just by the way certain messages are framed um like if you take the example of the Christchurch shootings from a few years ago which was perpetrated by a white male he was labeled as a man with mental health issues mm. right and you know how many times have we seen that happen before but yeah. if it was a person of color they would have been branded exactly. completely differently yeah, I really agree with you. Um, it happens all the time, like with big events, like you say, like big world events. And then even the smallest things and you see stuff treated with, you know, that microaggression under play or, you know, throwing a woman under the bus when she's done something, but a man did it and and he was hailed a hero or just didn't have any kind of ill treatment. Um, so I've seen that play out so much and I don't know how and when that'll change across all media because there are so many different types of outlets and most of them have an agenda, you know, yes. they have an agenda, they have their audience and that's something I guess, yeah, we need to be more wary of as readers as well that when we consume media everyone does it. I do it. You know, we all do it. We frame something a certain way. Mm. It can often be, depending on the topic, um, there can be some bias. So I think that's just something like we all need to be conscious and wary of. Um, but it certainly doesn't make it unfair, um, which is, yeah, like in that example that you said, it's very interesting how certain different mm. groups of society are um, perhaps put on a pedestal compared to others. Yeah. And speaking of the Black Lives Movement, I saw an article that you had written on your blog about the reporters that had covered that. And there were all like Caucasian people who were reporting on this Black Lives Movement story and there was so much irony on that and I remember you'd put all the screenshots of like the different news uh, stations and there was not a single black person who was covering that which is just so ironic because if you really do stand for that movement then why not get someone who's got that lived experience to actually cover the story like it seems like a no-brainer but it was just so ironic to see all of those images and I think you wrote it uh, so well um, in terms of covering that as well. And I think the other thing as well to add on to 
the importance of having people of colour in the newsrooms to share these stories is because a lot of people still do go to mainstream media to consume their information, especially older generations. And I think if these stories aren't covered in mainstream media, people just have no idea about the issue just in general. Like, you know, they're not gaining access to the information. And then I think it also leads to like more marginalization as well. Like people don't have a good understanding of one another as much. Whereas if you do see stories about, you know, people from other communities in mainstream media, it leads to more compassion because you almost can see the story of, of someone else and understand them a little bit more. And I think it brings on more of a human connection between people, which can also be a huge, I guess, negative implication of not having these stories on screen too. Yeah, I definitely think so. And like, as you touched on, you want to have those people's lived experiences talked about, um, you know, through through various publications, and especially with those older generations that are not necessarily on Twitter and, and looking at those blogs that focus on, you know, certain, certain intersectional issues. Um, I think that's something, yeah, like a lot of us have been calling for, you know, is more diversity and representation in that mainstream media and yeah I agree like there is a real need for it and I hope that you know that landscape does improve in terms of its diversity. For sure and I guess flowing on from that social media has been both uh, a great and not so great platform when it comes to sharing and consuming information right Um, on one hand anyone can technically be a journalist and share their perspectives and stories which might not be heard through big media um but then on the other hand you know anyone can technically be a journalist and (laughs) spread things like misinformation right um could you speak a little to that disruption and how social media and journalism are sometimes really good partners for one another and at other times not so much Yeah, like the intersection between social media and journalism is so interesting and so rife because, um, yeah, citizen journalism is very much a thing these days. You don't even have to be down at a protest or at an event to take a photo and upload it and to say, you know, that's what people initially thought, like citizen journalism, like you were there, you took a photo, you reported on what happened. Now you can just share whatever views you have on Twitter, on Instagram, and it can be good at times because it could show a perspective. Say you were at something and you show you have the goods there, you have the receipts, right? You have the receipts, say this Mm. happened and this journalist or this publication didn't show this, this and this had happened. So it can be good in that way and it can be empowering and it can be uplifting and it can tell the full picture. But then in the other way, we are just bombarded with so much these days, so much information, and it can be very easy to build a voice um, online and build a following, but there may not be, you know, the fact-checking and checking the validity of things, and people can very easily follow someone and take that, like, as gospel and um, Mm. believe that. So I know even, like, in terms of as reporters or editors when we're news sourcing even when it comes to you know stories around where we do like twitter reacts to blah 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 like twitter reacts to trump doing x y and z or whatnot even looking through the tweets we choose and just checking who tweeted this you know just to kind of see who the person is i think there's those extra steps as well Mm. that as journalists we're trying to take responsibility for if we are going to share the views of people that are that are tweeting or sharing messages on social media 
So it's that question of how do you manage it? That's how I guess we're trying to navigate that because it's so great to have that diversity of opinions and we can include the embeds for some of those tweets, but then checking who is this person? Like, okay, they've made a really great point about this, but let me go to their profile. Oh, everything else is really right-wing and really racist. Perhaps let's not include that person just because we could then be encouraging people to go to that Twitter as a, as a news source going forward yeah. kind of thing. So I think it's really good because we can all have a voice, you know, and, and take a stand on an issue and whatnot, but then it's an oversaturated place and it's really hard to know um, what's what's kind of valid and, and what isn't um, and what's misleading, I guess, or, or not showing the full picture, which is why I think it's so important, you know, that when mainstream publicate or large media publications are, you know, looking for opinion or encouraging, including a lot of this kind of like the noise that's there on social media, to check it as well and I guess that's the way we can manage it so to speak um I'd love to know like how do you guys kind of navigate like how do you manage when you see randoms as you could say tweeting or, or talking on Instagram or whatnot about certain things as a consumer have you ever felt um not you shouldn't feel guilty of it but kind of fallen for you know just taking that on without necessarily looking into who it is I know I've fallen in that trap before because it's so easy when some people can be so influential has that ever happened to you or how do you navigate that as consumers yeah I I definitely have um but I think it's about trying to be conscious of how we curate what we consume online Mm. um so you know being aware that if we're only getting like one type of perspective and we're not willing to learn about the other side it's only going to feed the polarization of our opinions and and drive us further and further apart which is obviously super counterproductive um and i guess you know trying to i guess to your point uh remember that opinions we see online might sometimes be the extreme so we need to kind of understand the whole picture as opposed to you know just buying in blindly and arguing for the sake of arguing um so i guess yeah i I don't have the answer but no i think being conscious of it is like a a a really good start yeah i also can't remember like one specific example of where i'd fallen into something just because like i'd seen an article on it i'm sure it's happened like many times in the past but i think to it's like i echo sandon's point in the sense of it's just good to get an understanding of the backstory and it's similar to what you were saying as well Alicia like if you've seen a tweet from someone and it's it's great and it's you know sharing all this powerful stuff instead of just taking it at face value just getting an understanding of like okay who is this person like why are they putting this out there in the world what credential do they have to to have an opinion about this because there's also that especially when it comes to political issues and I mean, it's awesome because I think that's the upside of social media where you can get a view. Like a lot of the time I'm hearing about stories or issues in the world through social media and it's great because that's almost the way I'm able to consume that information. But at the same time, it's like there's always this like bandwagon that people fall into sometimes where, you know, all of a sudden everyone jumps onto that bandwagon being like, oh, you know, that politician's bad or everyone should follow X, Y, Z. And then it's like, no one really questions like, why? You know, is there a bigger reason behind this? Or are you cancelling this celebrity or this politician? Because what they've said has been taken out of context. Like there's so many 
issues like that as well where like people take things out of context and then it just spreads like wildfire and everyone's just got the wrong perspective as well so there's just like so many things that play here but I think the important thing is just to like gain an understanding of like not taking things at face value and doing that research yourself to gain the understanding of various perspectives as well yeah I think the point you made about taking things out of context that happens so often right like like you have the full article or the full interview and someone will take a snippet and and spin it out of context to, to get clicks or to get views and I've definitely been a victim to that where I'll read the headline and, you know, take it for what it is instead of reading the full thing to understand the kind of depth behind it. Mm. Um, and, and actually, I, th- I think that's something that I really need to work on as well. Like I'll be scrolling and I'll see a headline about an important issue, right? And I'll, and I'll bookmark it and I'll tell myself, you know, this is something that's important. This is something I need to learn about, um, but I'll come back to it, right? I'll, I'll come back and read it later. And then I'll keep scrolling. Um, and then I'll see another article and I'll tell myself, you know, I need to read this one too. I'll bookmark it and then keep scrolling. Mm. And what ends up happening is that I've got this like big backlog of all these things that I need to um, educate myself about, but I don't end up reading them because there's always something else, right? There's mm. always something new. So I just keep scrolling. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. It's really good learnings for me as well. Just how like we all have different habits when we consume media. It's cool. Mm. (laughs) And I think the other thing as well, because there's so many stories, especially because of that 24 hour sort of like instant gratification that we want from Mm. news stories because of social media, it's like stories are easily forgotten. Like, you know, at the beginning of this year, we we're talking about the farmers' protests in Punjab and all of those issues. Like, I honestly have no idea what's happening with that anymore. Like, yeah. surely it hasn't just stopped. Like, it's an ongoing issue. But, you know, no one's talking about that anymore. Everyone's shifted to other issues, which is fine because other issues also need to be spoken about. But you forget what's happened before and you don't really go back to look for more information. Like, I don't know if that's just me that's guilty of that, but I feel like that's also another downside almost where because of that information overload, like stories are just quickly forgotten. Yeah, it's definitely not just you. I think it's the way a lot of media works. Like even, um, yeah, I've, I see it all the time and I've I've like seen something big come up and I've kind of known that when something bigger comes, the media will shift and jump onto that story Mm. and it's just unfortunate that the news cycle is just so quick there is just so much happening and yeah there is just because you know you don't have the paper coming out tomorrow which gives you time you need to get the story up in half an hour or now it means everyone's just working so fast to keep on top of that demand and to keep fresh and to keep up in line with competitors because if you don't do it the next outlet will Mm. you know kind of thing so yeah it's really interesting as a journalist how has that impacted your role over time like is it that sort of like that competition for stories and stuff like that like how does it pan out when it comes to you picking stories and your I guess day-to-day when it comes to to your work and even just thinking about the integrity of what it means to be a journalist, right? How, how has that changed? Mm. Well, I think in the period of time in which I've been a journo, it's been pretty consistent because it's always been in that online space where we've had social media and, and 
you know, boom, 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 everything's happening really fast. And just it's dependent on the role I'm in, but it's always that balance about covering things that are breaking and then also trying to work on stuff in the background that's really important and that can hold longevity and that can continue the conversation about things that are perhaps not covered as much elsewhere. Um, In terms of like integrity, yeah, it's just about understanding. I've always been very um, aware as a journalist of what my role is within an organization and what it's trying to achieve, which at the end of the day, the reality is, and it's with anything like newspapers are trying to sell copies, news websites are trying to get clicks, you know, TV are getting, you know, their ratings, same with radio. Um, Mm. Everyone's kind of, you want to get eyeballs on your work. Otherwise there's, if no one's looking at it, then you're clearly not servicing that audience, you know, that's supposed to be reading it. So what's the point of creating that content? So I've always just tried to make sure that I'm in that space where I feel comfortable with what I'm creating and that Mm. it's still of value, but can also help generate traffic. Um, So yeah, it's like, I know, I think there's been like, I think we all a lot of us in journalism may at times feel as though, oh, is this like, there could be a day where it's a topic that you're just not that personally passionate about, but you know, it's got to be covered kind Mm. of thing. So it's like just about a bit of give and take there, which so far I haven't felt too personally compromised um, in what I've had to do, but that's just my personal experience and other journalists I'm sure would have different things to say. I can only speak for myself. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, as kind of a way of wrapping up the episode, um, being a South Asian podcast, I can't think of a single young South Asian person who doesn't receive WhatsApp messages or, or emails <laughs> from at least a couple of relatives or, or family members that might not be super vetted. Um, what do you mean? WhatsApp <laughs> news is legit. <laughs> um, I know this might be a bit of a loaded question, but what kind of advice would you have in terms of how we should be consuming media in today's world with, um, you know, with, with fake news and, and COVID misinformation and mm. anti-vax movements and, and whatnot? Um, yeah, what, what advice would you have? Um, yeah. yeah, there's so many elements to it, right? And I don't even know if my answer is, like, completely right for everyone. But, yeah, really try and, like, just... Yeah, be very wary of, of course, like, especially with, I was, when you started mentioning WhatsApp messages, I was just like, here we go with the COVID, like the COVID (laughs) spam, you know, because there's just so much misinformation out there. Um, Yeah, I think it's just about, you know, really trying to understand, you know, who your trusted sources are. Um, I think there is a space um, for all of us to have a voice online But if journalists weren't needed, we wouldn't be here by now. So I think still remembering Mm. that those really respected sources of journalism um, are still doing great work. There are journalists out there who are doing the fact-checking. They're sitting down, doing the interviews, Mm. digging for the background. And to be wary of just, you know, if you get something on WhatsApp, like just checking again and it comes back to what I was saying, like around those tweets and stuff that we look at, just looking at the source of it. Um, when it comes to big issues, like, for example, with COVID, like looking at the official health information and, and 
going back there and seeing who communicates that information and relays that back or platforms that on their platforms. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's an interesting time because there is just so much out there, as you say. So, um, yeah, like as easy it is as it is for us to just quickly scroll and swipe, um, take a little bit of time and care to just look into what you're reading and into bookmarking those places where you know that there's been like a lot of work done to um, get mm. some solid information out there to you. Most Aunties and uncles who are listening, please take notes. <laughs> Please follow Alicia on Instagram. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I think that's really great advice. And I guess to that, do you have any recommendations of any, like, I guess, pages or any journalists, obviously, aside from yourself, yeah. that uh, people could follow or, or read that you think could be, like, more of a trusted source? Is there anyone that comes to mind or any publication? Um, oh gosh, I don't like to say too much because somewhere that I might want to read is not where others want to read. Mm. But, you know, like in Australia, like if it's for your news, like just your everyday news, obviously ABC, SBS, The Guardian, um, you know, and then it depends on what it is because then I think yeah. that when there's other things, I still look at all the other sites when it comes to different topics. You know, there might be another news website that's really great for sport or that's yeah. you know, really great for entertainment or they have like a really good political column. Like, so it just depends. And I don't like to prescribe too much on mm. what people read because I think that's the joy of the world we're in where people mm. need to be able to make a choice as well um but yeah I mean I can recommend Refinery29 for all um you know for especially like young women of color in Australia we're really trying to bring an intersectional lens to our coverage and cover things that are often not talked about enough at the moment or they're talked about you know within our Facebook groups and when we're chatting over Zoom but not necessarily in the mainstream media. So, mm. um, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And I'd also highly recommend your blog, oh, Draw Your Box. And as we said, like we'll link that in our show notes because, you know, while doing research for this episode, like we read quite a few of your articles and they're really great, especially when it comes to people of colour and elevating those stories, which listeners of our podcast I think would really gravitate towards as well. So, yeah, highly recommend for your sure. blog too. Uh, but Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a great conversation. I think we've been speaking for like an hour and a half now, um, but it's been so good speaking with you. Really appreciate all of your insights and your energy um, and for you really to, to take the time to speak with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has honestly been like the highlight of my whole week. And I just want to congratulate you both again on the incredible work you're doing with the podcast, because as much as, you know, a lot of us are out there doing these these things, it's really nice when there's a place like stuck in between where us creatives can come together. Our, what we've been working towards is platformed and able to be dissected and spoken about so openly um, and in a really accessible way. Um, and it, that's really nice. So thank you so much. 
Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so You're much. That kind. was so lovely. And I'm sure Hamish and Andy will get back to us soon. So I, I can't <laughs> wait to catch you at work experience. Yeah, I'll bring you along with me. We have to go together. <laughs> oh, my God. I wouldn't handle. That would be crazy. Or 96.1. Yeah. If you manage to get onto that, let me know. I'll, yeah. I'll, come, I'll come with you there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to check out our show notes to see where you can find all of Alicia's amazing work. We'll catch you next week for our conversation with activist, drag king and creative Madhura Prakash to learn more about her experience as a proud queer South Asian woman, her work as a human rights and LGBTQI plus activist and all about her amazing performative work. See you then. Bye.